Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Dr. Benjamin Williams. As we come to the word, let's have a, a, as if we haven't prayed enough. No, we haven't prayed enough. We can never pray enough. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, as we come, we ask that you would inspire the words I bring, inspire our hearing, to hear not just human words, but the voice of your spirit, and inspire our hands and our feet to be about the Spirit's business. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In my sermon entitled, Booster Shot. Booster Shot. Now, there were new kids on the block. There were brothers. It was the summer, as I recall, the summer of 1961. Uh, Even at the age of seven, I already knew that whenever I found myself in new neighborhoods and met new people, I I would be respectful and polite. I mean, after all, these could become new friends, and it was their turf, not mine. Well, these new kids, well, they weren't like that. (laughs) They were mouthing off. They were throwing and breaking things, you know. It was other people's things. They weren't important, but it was other people's things, and it was the principle of it. So I asked them to stop, and the older brother, through a few crude threats, and the younger brother then picked up a board and swung it at me, hit me in the left shoulder. It was then that I realized there was a rusty nail sticking through it. Yeah. It stung, didn't do any serious damage, and yet off we went to the doctor. I hated shots. So, of course, I got a penicillin shot and a tetanus shot. This tetanus can be a genuine health risk, especially in Florida. It stung as well. And of course, my shoulder ached for a few days, not just because of the the puncture, but because of the shot. About two months later, (coughs) my brother and I were cutting through a vacant lot to go visit some friends. The grass was just high enough, I could not see the scrap wood lying on the ground or the rusty nail that went through my left sneaker. Off we went to the doctor's office. More antibiotics and another tetanus booster shot. Another couple of months, cattle rancher. Yeah, you see it coming. (laughs) Another couple of months, cattle rancher invited the church over for a big barbecue out in the pasture, and there, would go, there was going to be bourbon-basted beef and red wine marinated venison. By now, it was late fall. My father had only recently passed away. And we were in mourning, but, you know, children still have to be able to get out of the house. So they made a point of inviting us. We hadn't been there an hour 
when my brother got stung by a scorpion. And I, I joined some kids who were balancing on beams in the field. And yeah, of course, rusty nail right through the sole of my right sneaker. At least I had a matched pair. So, you know, as we pulled in, pulled up to the doctor's office, I could see the nurse looking out the window, and she already was getting the tetanus shot ready for me before I even got out of the car. Booster shots. You get inoculated against disease, but the protection can wear off. It's got to be refreshed. Sometimes circumstances, you know, require you have to have an extra, well, shot of protection. Another dose of what you got last time to get you through a special moment. Or cover you for another five or ten years or whatever. Booster shots. When you need a boost. God knows the value of a booster shot. Now Jesus' disciples had preached and healed some already during his lifetime. Every now and then he would send them out ahead of him, it says, to prepare his way. Nevertheless, they were not very good at it. Sometimes they failed miserably. Gospels even tell us at least one time when we know they failed. And whenever a miracle did happen, these guys were so shocked and excited that they would hurry back to Jesus, oh Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name, parentheses, this time. Hallelujah. And whenever listeners rejected their message, the disciples wondered whether they ought to call down fire from heaven to consume them. These guys were really not very good at this mission thing. No? And after Jesus, when the risen Jesus appeared to them, they wanted to run and tell somebody meaning somebody among the disciples they already knew. Otherwise, what do they do? They hunker down, they're keeping, they're keeping themselves locked in and everybody else locked out. And 40 days later, they still haven't told anybody outside their little group. These are not natural-born missionaries. And I suspect they sound a lot like you and me. So as Jesus departs for the last time, he tells them, wait. Now, wait, they do pretty good. Wait. 
until he sends the Holy Spirit to fall upon them, to sweep over them with power, to jumpstart the worldwide mission ahead. Now, he tells them what he's going to do, but in all honesty, they have no idea what that's going to look like. And, you know, that's probably just as well. It's whenever God is going to do something remarkable in our life, he might tell us he's going to do something remarkable, but usually, no, not usually, always, he's not going to tell you what it is. That's probably for your protection, so you're not freaking out. And it's also for the, for the protection of what he's fixing to do, so you won't try to get in ahead of him and be messing with it and mess it up before Jesus can get started. So he's not going to tell you what he's going to do, but he's going to tell you he's getting ready to do something. And when he does, and sit up, take notice, pray, and wait. It's coming. Now, in 10 days, Jerusalem is going to be filled again with Jewish pilgrims. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Weeks. Jerusalem is going to swell from a sleepy backwater of about 20,000 permanent residents to more than 120,000 from all over the then known world. If someone wants to spread the gospel far and fast, that's the way to do it. Timing is everything. The disciples continue to gather every day to pray and wait. And on the morning of the first day of tabernacles, called Pentecost, meaning the 50th, because it falls on the 50th day after Passover, Jesus keeps his promise and the Spirit falls. Now, the Holy Spirit is unquestionably the least subtle person of the Trinity. You know, fire dances in the air, the roar of wind fills the room. Now, imagine, here we have a small town largely constructed of combustible materials, packed with festival visits, and one thing the people are going to fear the most is what? Fire. Fire. Flames appear, that desert Scirocco howls, and you can picture thousands grabbing buckets and running to the scene. And what do they see? The disciples burst out spontaneously in almost uncontrollable shouting and calling. Folks think they, they're bound to be drunk or on drugs or something. You know, there's all the, the drama and social chaos of a loud, pyrotechnical, heavy metal concert. That's just how the spirit rolls. 
The mystified crowds gather. Peter preaches with a clarity and conviction he never displayed before. And thousands come to believe in Jesus. The church, in minutes, triples, maybe quadruples, or more in size. Suddenly, there's a lot of pastoral care that's got to happen, a lot of catechism classes, too, and, and evangelism. These guys can't stop preaching, talking about Jesus. And then the healings start. And then the persecutions start. You know, preach, heal, preach some more, get arrested. Repeat. Preach, heal, preach some more, get arrested. Repeat. There's no subtlety here either. Now, as the apostles are let out of jail, they gather with the church to pray. And let's read about it from the book of Acts in chapter 4, starting at verse 23. Acts 4, 23. After they were released, this is Peter and John, who were the ones in jail this time. After they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, it's everyone else, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, it's you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. May God bless to us this reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now, notice two things here. First of all, Peter and John had just spent the night in jail. It would have been a rather uncomfortable night. And they spent the morning haranguing with the Sanhedrin. Naturally, when they get out of there, they're going to pray about this persecution going on, right? And God, they reflect how God in his sovereignty, who made all things and purposes, whatever happens, had announced beforehand how the rulers and the authorities would align 
against the Messiah. And this was fulfilled as both the leaders of the Jews and of the Gentiles, along with the peoples, conspired to kill Jesus. So it comes as no surprise, therefore, when the people who hated Jesus don't like the gospel either. Okay. But I want you to note that Peter and John do not ask God to judge their adversaries. They don't pray for fire to come down from heaven and consume their persecutors. They don't, they don't even ask God to stop the persecution. Did you notice that? That's important. Look upon their threats, Lord, they pray. And then we expect them to say something like, and let it come to naught. But no, instead they pray, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to preach with even more boldness. Lord, don't, you don't need to stop the persecution. Just equip us to plow on ahead in spite of it. Second thing is in answer to their prayer, the Holy Spirit falls upon them with all of his characteristic subtlety as the joint starts jumping, starts shaking. And they're all spontaneously moved to speak. Now, a lot of these people there would have been present at Pentecost when the Spirit fell upon them and they were moved to speak in tongues and witness and prophesy. And it's like that, <clears throat> except this time, they're all moved to speak the Word of God with boldness. <clears throat> this prayer, you see, God hears and He answers on the spot. Now, and Luke doesn't want us to miss this. So he uses the very same words in Greek. They pray to speak metaparesias, and they are empowered to speak metaparesias. The he uses intentionally the same Greek expression. Boldness is what they ask for, so boldness is what they get. Judging by what I see in hymnals. See, preachers have to know hymnals because generally we're responsible for picking music or at least vetting music that's being used in worship. And so when I look around in the hymnals, I find that hymn writers prefer a sweet and subtle Holy Spirit. Ah, you sang that one too, didn't you? Yeah. You know, like this one. Spirit, spirit of gentleness, blow through the wilderness calling and free. 
or come Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening powers, kindle a flame of sacred love in these cold hearts of ours. Or there's one I'm sure you know. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the Spirit of the Lord. There are sweet expressions on each face. Now, I'm not sure, but to be honest, when I read Acts 2 of Pentecost and Acts 4 as the Spirit falls again, I'm not sure sweet expressions are what everyone had on their face. Unless you like, you know, your mouth hanging open and your eyes open wide like fried eggs in surprise if you think that looks sweet. But I don't know if that's quite the, quite the accurate choice of words. Or how about this one? It's, they're hymns I love, you know. But Spirit of God descend upon my heart, which prays, I think it's in the second verse, I ask no dream no prophet ecstasies, no sudden rending of this veil of clay, no angel visitant, no opening skies, but take the dimness of my soul away. You know, soft, wimpy lyrics set to sweet, schmaltzy Victorian melodies. There's no real fire, no storm, no earth-shaking boldness. But what happens, you look at the book of Acts, and what do you find? The Holy Spirit, what, the, what does the Spirit do? He does precisely dreams and prophecies and angel visitants and opening skies and all that kind of stuff. It's so hard to find really exciting Pentecost hymns. Maybe we need to pray that the Lord would inspire some more Christians to write some really exciting Pentecost hymns. Now, when I remember back on my years in seminary, one of my classes that I took was on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And judging by that class, seminary class and my own reading ever since, I've come to the conclusion that mainline theologians prefer a domesticated and subtle Holy Spirit as well. You know, the peaceful feeling in the heart, the silent whisper in the wind, and that still small voice in the innermost soul. Better a descending dove than tongues of fire. That raucous and rowdy spirit of Pentecost, well, theologians assure us that that was an anomaly. It was an unavoidable necessity to kickstart the Christian church. It was, you know, one of God's one-time publicity stunts. God had to do something spectacular the first time the disciples got the Spirit on Pentecost. Oh, and the first time the Samaritans got the Spirit in chapter 8. 
and maybe the first time the Gentiles got the Spirit in chapter 10. Each first time they concede, that had to be dramatic. Well, there was that time in Ephesus in chapter 19 when some disciples of John the Baptist got the Spirit too. Now that was pretty spectacular too. But theologians then figure, well, that must have been a first too, even if we don't know the first what. Of course, if you ask any hardline Pentecostal, he'll say, it's a first any time a Baptist gets the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Just saying. But all the rest of the time, theologians assure us, all the rest of the time, the Spirit works in quiet and unspectacular ways. You know, like a dove. Now, our reading today, though, tells us otherwise. This time it's an earth tremor instead of a firestorm. It's boldness instead of speaking in tongues. But the disciples ask for a kick in the pants, a booster shot of boldness, and that raw and rowdy spirit falls on them again in pretty much the same way he did the first time, with all the subtlety of a train wreck. <clears throat> David Duplessis was a pastor in the Pentecostal Holiness Church in South Africa. At a time when Pentecostals were suspicious of anything ecumenical, Duplessis became the face of the Pentecostal movement to the World Council of Churches. His life reads like something straight out of the book of Acts. And he often spoke of being filled with the Holy Spirit <coughs> again and again. Now, mainline Protestants think you get the Holy Spirit when, you, when you're baptized and confirmed. Evangelicals believe you get the Holy Spirit when you give your life to Jesus and are born again. And Pentecostals believe that the baptism of the Spirit is a distinct second experience after conversion, separate from and after conversion. But all of them say and agree that once you have the Spirit, you pretty much have the Spirit. And when, so some, when someone asked David Duplessis how he could claim to be filled over and over and over again, Duplessis merely shrugged, I leak. You see, we all leak. Or maybe we just need regular booster shots, especially when we're faced with new and unfamiliar challenges. Life is full 
of unexpected rusty nails. It could be nice to get a good, strong booster shot every couple of months. You know? If you leaf through the pages of Acts, you'll see how folks have the Spirit come upon them, or they're filled with or are full of the Holy Spirit repeatedly. By just a quick count that I made, nothing scientific here, I found Peter three times, Stephen three times, and that's in less than a chapter, and Paul twice, and that's just where it's explicitly stated. This in indicates to us that the author, Luke, envisioned that believers would get a fresh infusion, another booster shot, every time they needed to step out boldly in the name of the Lord to preach or to heal. This repeat filling of the Spirit happens when they, read you, are doing something God's called you to do. And you need that extra boost of, oh, power or insight or wisdom. You know, when you need, when you need what, what here in the South, when you need what we call a little something-something. You know, when you need a little something-something. Now, don't expect the Spirit to be subtle. The Holy Spirit does not do subtle. There might not be firestorms or earthquakes, but it usually adds some serious juice to your words or to your actions or to your prayers, and it always has an effect. Always. And sometimes, just letting you know, sometimes when the Holy Spirit shows up, things get rowdy. Remember, you got some rowdy friends in high places. <laughs> Tetanus booster shots. <coughs> Excuse me. Tetanus booster shots. You're supposed to need one at least every five or ten years. And, you know, extra when you face an unexpected challenge like a dirty cut, a rusty nail puncture. Uh, even sometimes in a, a splinter. So, you know, I looked up tetanus. Comes from a cotton, common bacterium, Clostridium tetani. It lives in soil, dirty water, it really everywhere. It's all over the place, everywhere in the south. It multiplies in your body, it releases toxins into your bloodstream and the toxins affect the central nervous system. And that leads to painful muscle contractions and seizures. And if it attacks the diaphragm or the cardiac muscles, it can cause death. There's no known cure, but it can be prevented with periodic inoculations, you know, booster shots. 
Now, they say, and it is true, they say that whenever people read the symptoms of any disease, they are convinced they have it. I mean, we're discovering this now with people that are flocking to be tested for coronavirus that have been nowhere near any COVID infections. If they get the sniffles, they're sure that they're dying with coronavirus. But that's just in human nature, just the way we are. So as I read the symptoms of tetanus, I got concerned as well. But not so much for me, but for the folks in my churches. Listen, it causes the jaw to lock up, and you have a hard time even opening your mouth at all. Your neck becomes stiff. There can be a lot of staring blankly into space. You grow increasingly irritable and restless as the disease progresses. Symptoms can be exacerbated by light, sound, and touch. Your heart rate rises rapidly, blood pressure spikes, you sweat excessively, you feel you can't breathe, eventually your heart muscle can cramp until it's inflexible and hard. Sounds to me like what happens to an awful lot of Christians when they're supposed to tell someone about Jesus. Locked jaw. Can't talk. Stares away into space. Heart races. Blood pressure shoots through the ceiling. Cold sweats. Can hardly breathe. As we suppress that urging in our souls, we grow irritable and restless. We get antsy. And if you resist it long enough, you become stiff-necked and hard-hearted. I don't know a cure, but there is an inoculation. America needs to hear the good news about what Jesus has done for sinners, what he can do for the sick and the lost and the lonely, the difference he can make for people who make that commitment to Christ and are his. Most Americans believe that there is a God somewhere, but they don't know him. Roughly 50% of Americans today do not go to or belong to a church. Half of the rest who do belong to a church go through the motions but have never had a genuine life-changing encounter with a risen and living Jesus. Which means, if you got up and stood on a soapbox in Walmart, three quarters of the folks who stare back at you wondering what on earth you're fixing to do, three quarters of them don't know Jesus and are lost. 
But now, thanks to this pandemic, a lot of people are beginning to think or wonder what matters in life. They're, about to want, they're starting to wonder about spiritual things. The need is there. The opportunity is there. Are you there? Or do you have lockjaw? The thing believers probably fear the most is persecution. Oh, not brutal in your face police action, but, you know, rejection, snarkiness, ridicule. But, you know, opposition is never a hindrance to the gospel. Peter and John don't even pray for an end to the persecution. If you pray for an end to the persecution, you're going to be disappointed because that prayer is not going to be answered. Instead, they pray for more boldness. The boldness to power through every obstacle until everyone has had the chance to hear the gospel and respond. If you'll pray for boldness, believe me, you are going to get boldness. We need a booster shot of the Holy Spirit. We need a shot of holy boldness. And I wouldn't mind getting one about every two months. And if things get a little bit rowdy, well, maybe it'll shake things up around here it would certainly make church a whole lot more interesting. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we need a shot, a booster shot of holy boldness in the Holy Spirit. Grant to us to preach your word with all boldness, while signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There's a lot of people who don't know you, but they need you. And time may be short. Give us the words, but even more the courage just to step out and speak a word in the strong, life-changing name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.